Have you finished your personal statement yet? Now's the perfect time to get it professionally reviewed by a medical school HQ expert advisor. We have former directors of admissions, admissions officers, and the like on our small team of amazing people. They have the inside knowledge from reading thousands and thousands and thousands, tens, if not 100,000 personal statements going through the process and setting up the process for their whole committee. They know exactly what medical schools look for and the common red flags that can get your entire application thrown out. Take advantage of our flash sale right now, going through May 6th, up to 6,000 characters reviewed for just $150. That's a $75 discount on our regular price. Go to editmyps.com. Again, that's editmyps.com. If you're applying to medical school in 2022 to start medical school in 2023, join me Wednesday or Thursday, Wednesday night at 9.30 p.m. Eastern, or Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern at premedworkshop.com. Go register today. I'm going to show you how to tell your story in your application. Again, that's premedworkshop.com. If you are applying to medical school in 2022, be there or be square. The Medical School HQ Podcast, session number 118. Hello and welcome to the Medical School Headquarters Podcast, where we believe that collaboration, not competition, is key to your pre-med success. I'm your host, Dr. Ryan Gray, and in this podcast, we share with you stories, encouragement, and information that you need to know to help guide you on your path to becoming a physician. This week's podcast guest is a special one. We have Kevin Poe who runs KevinMD.com. Now, if you're a pre-med student and you don't know about KevinMD.com, go check it out. It's at KevinMD.com. It's an awesome website, a blog, really, a collaborative blog that allows physicians, residents, medical students, pre-med students, even patients, and other healthcare, anybody involved in the healthcare world have a voice and talk about what they're struggling with, talk about what they like, what they don't like, and their opinions. And it's an awesome site that offers a ton of great information. And And you've listened to us, most likely if you've heard some of our podcasts before, you've listened to us talk about some of the articles that we have found on KevinMD.com. Last week's guest, we had Tom Petit, who's a physician a resident, and he's written several articles on Kevin MD. I myself have written several articles on Kevin MD. And there was one episode specifically in episode 112, most recently, titled, If Doctors Can't Be Doctors, Why Bother Being Pre-Med? And that episode came from an article on Kevin MD that was titled, There Was a Time When Doctors Were Doctors. And it was a physician that was venting over what life is like as a physician now. And Allison and I kind of had a lot of counterpoints to, to his points. And so if you've listened to that and you like that, then go check out Kevin MD because there's so many awesome articles, good and bad, about healthcare. And so there's a ton of great stuff. But today I have Kevin on with us, and he's going to talk about his path into medicine 
talk about why he started his blog, KevinMD.com. He's going to talk about healthcare nowadays and why pre-med students are still so eager to get into medical school. And even with all these physicians complaining about medicine, why we're still breaking records every year with applications to medical school, how the Affordable Care Act has changed the way he's practiced and what you should know as a pre-med moving forward about the ACA or Obamacare when you go for your interviews. So we have a ton of great information. I want to get right to it. Kevin, welcome to the show. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. So I want to start. You've been practicing as a physician now for a while. I want you to rewind your brain as much as you can and and go back to when you first realized you wanted to be a doctor. Sure. I think I wanted to become a doctor in high school. And people always ask me why I want to become a doctor. And it's hard to give an answer that isn't a cliche. My cliche is that I wanted to make a difference in people's lives. And really, for me, that meant going into medicine. My mother was a medical technologist. She worked in hospitals. So I had that type of influence in terms of her talking about her life in the hospital. And I thought that a career in medicine would be really the best way to make that impact in people's lives. And I went to high school in Toronto and eventually went to undergraduate and medical studies in Boston. I went to Boston University for both. And I stayed at BU for my residency, which I completed internal medicine. And now I'm in Nashua, New Hampshire, just about 45 minutes north of Boston. And you're working as a, what kind of physician are you now? I'm an internal medicine physician. I work in uh, a group practice with three other physicians in a hospital-owned practice. Okay. Very interesting. Now, it's interesting. You said you first realized around high school that you wanted to be a physician. I, I had just come across some of the matriculating student questionnaire data from the AAMC And the majority of matriculating medical students realize in high school that that's what they want to do. So it's 30, almost 31% of matriculating students, it's high school where they find out. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, I thought it'd be later. You know, I think that uh, uh, for some, they know very early. And uh, at Boston University, I went to a seven-year program, which, uh, as you know, combines both undergraduate and medical studies. So I think if you go into a program like that, you have to know pretty early on what you want to do. That's interesting. So talk about that. How did you find out about that program and, and what was it like going into a, to a combined program? I found out about the program because one of the alumnus from my high schools also went into the uh, BU seven-year program. And I thought it was for people who, who knew what they wanted to do, I thought it was a, it was a great option because assuming that you maintain a minimum academic standard, you could go straight into medical school without having to reapply after undergraduate studies. So I wanted to uh, take that surefire approach and I went into uh, that program and I met about, I think uh, it was a 40 to 50 people with similar interests. And uh, I thought it was, it was a great way to complete medical studies because uh, right from the very beginning, you had that type of support from your peers because whatever you're going through, they're going through the same thing. And progressing through the seven years with uh, that peer group, I thought was tremendously helpful along the journey. One of the hot topics, it seems these days with medicine is physician burnout. 
And for somebody like yourself who goes through undergrad and medical school in, a, in an accelerated program and really have gone nonstop, do you think that's good for burnout? Or do you think, looking back, would you have changed anything? You know, that's an interesting question. Uh, on my blog, we talk about physician burnout all the time. And a lot of the advice that I read that physicians give on my own site is not necessarily something that I followed when I was uh, in training. I think physician burnout is uh, somewhat of a taboo topic. I think that especially within the halls of medicine, if you admit to any type of burnout or the work is too hard or the desire for work-life balance, I think there's still a perception that you're perceived as weak. I think the tide is slowly changing, but when I was going through uh, the accelerated program, which was back in the 90s, it wasn't that long ago, there certainly wasn't any, well, I should say, it wasn't that much support from a behavioral health standpoint, from a burnout standpoint. I think now, I think it's more recognized. I think that there have been articles in mainstream media publications as well as social media about a physician burnout and a medical school burnout for that matter. And uh, I think just bringing it out in open and talking about it openly is a huge step forward from when I went to medical school. Yeah. Now, I'm interested for you to take a line whether or not you think the new workout restrictions are good or bad for medicine. You know, that's also a, a huge topic as well. I think uh, the concept, uh, the concept makes sense. Mm -hmm. I think you don't want doctors who are, are training, you know, 30, 40 hours straight and taking care of patients. I think there's some danger in that. But as you know, there are multiple studies showing that limiting work hours doesn't uh, improve uh, patient care or doesn't necessarily reduce medical errors. You have increased uh, chance of errors uh, during handoffs. You have a shift mentality approach. And for technical specialties like surgery, I think it cuts down on their technical training because I think the only way to get better as a surgeon is to do more cases. And if you're limited by the work hours, I think uh, we're training a generation of surgeons who may not be as well trained as their previous generation. So I think that work hours in general is going through a pretty rough transition. Um, I'm not sure uh, what the answer is, but I think there has to be a uh, balance between the reduction of time that you spend at a hospital and uh, being well prepared when you uh, graduate. Yeah, I like that. So there are record numbers of students applying to medical school every year. And amid all of these changes in healthcare and, and insurance and everything else, what do you think it is that still drives people to want to be physicians? Yeah, I think the short answer is uh, it's a rewarding career. I think when it comes down to it, that bond that you form with patients, I think uh, is a bond that you, you get in very few other professions. I think that it's definitely going to be uh, secure in terms of uh, job security in the future as baby boomers age. They're going to need more health care. I don't think that there's ever going to be a time where there's going to be too many providers. If anything, there's always going to be too few, especially in the primary care specialties. But uh, if I was to say one thing is that the students who want to go into medicine generally want to make a difference in society. And uh, they go into it for a similar reasons that I did, is that they really, to make that individual difference, if you take that healthcare approach, there's really no more powerful way. 
What about the students out there that might have what you or I would think would be the wrong aspirations and wanting to be a cardiologist because they make $300,000 a year? Have you seen examples of physicians that don't do well in that sense? Sure. I think that if you go into medicine for purely for the money, I think uh, those people would be sorely disappointed. There are much better ways to make money out there than medicine. As you know, the medical school debt is a huge issue, especially in this country. People are graduating in excess of $150,000, $200,000 in debt. And really, no amount of salary is going to completely overcome that in the very beginning. And there's a, so many issues and difficulties and obstacles when we practice medicine. So I think that if you don't go into it for the right reasons, if you're going into it purely for social status and money, I think that um, you're just setting yourself up for disappointment. I like it. What... um. You had mentioned some of the wrong reasons and about going into medicine, and, and you'll be sorely disappointed. Let's talk about your day as, a, as an internal medicine physician and somebody who is being driven by money and is now in your shoes. What does a, a typical day look like for you? So I'm not a, a typical internal medicine physician. I, as you know, I, I have a pretty broad social media profile, and I, I do spend a lot of time with social media. So I wake up pretty early in the morning, about 4.30, 5 in the morning, and I spend a few hours reading articles and editing articles that get submitted to me, so that gets posted up on my site. And uh, I do that until 6, 7 o'clock where I go to the clinic and get ready for the day that starts at 8. And uh, there's two four-hour sessions, one from 8 to 12 and one from 1 to 5. I see about 15 to 20 patients a day in a primary care office. So there are a lot of uh, uh, well physicals, diabetes, hypertension, hyperlipidemia, depression, anxiety, pretty much bread and butter primary care topics that I see. And uh, I get home around five and six. I have a family, two young daughters that I spend time with until they sleep. And then uh, afterwards, I do more uh, social media. It could be preparing uh, talks on social media. It could be doing writing, writing for my own site, writing for newspapers. And I do that until I go to bed. So I think that I do have a certain blend of healthcare and social media that I, I'm not going to say that everyone should do, but it does invigorate me because I think that there are times that I feel that if I just did primary care, you know, it can take a toll. And I think that having interests outside of medicine, as I do with social media, invigorates what I do. And I think it's tremendously important for any, anyone who wants to go into medicine that they have to have some type of interests outside of healthcare to keep themselves going. Yeah, that you need that balance, definitely. What, as a primary care physician, another hot topic these days is Obamacare or the Affordability Care Act. How has that affected you in any way? And as a pre-med student who may be listening to this, what should they be thinking about as they move forward? So I think the Affordable Care Act or Obamacare, I think it gets highly politicized, of course, but really it's a moderate approach to healthcare. It really entrenches the status quo. In fact, it makes the healthcare, health insurers more powerful rather than less. So I think that uh, its effects are largely overblown. Now, that being said, there certainly are some differences. It, it does make uh, health insurance more affordable and more accessible to those who don't have it. It expands uh, Medicaid 
So from a practical standpoint in my clinic, I see more patients who ordinarily wouldn't have come if they didn't have health insurance. I see a few more Medicaid patients and I see and the hospital I work for is generally getting reimbursed uh, more frequently by people who otherwise would have been uninsured. So that's really the big extent to it. I think that going forward, there are several Supreme Court challenges to the Affordable Care Act uh, coming up. So we'll see whether it's intact. But uh, on the whole, I I find that it's a pretty moderate reform to our health insurance system. And uh, I think certainly much bigger changes could have been done. Okay. So... Small changes, small pivots, and as usual, maybe the media making bigger light of it. That's right. That's right. I, <laughs> as with uh, anything to do with uh, our president. <laughs> and Ebola, right? Ebola. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> what, um, you had started talking about some social media with what you do on a day in and day basis. And a couple of weeks ago, I had Dr. Vardabedian on talking about social media for physicians. As a pre-med student, a medical student now, even a resident or, or other physicians, can we avoid social media at this point and how should we embrace it if we need to? So the answer is no, you can't avoid social media, especially this generation of pre-medical and medical students. Uh, I'm sure uh, Dr. Vardabedian has said this is the first generation of so-called digital natives. Uh, everyone who is in medical school and, and doing pre-med courses now, they've grown up on social media. They may have started off with MySpace and graduated Facebook, and now they're on Snapchat. And I think social media is as much a part of their lives as the telephone was uh, with mine. So social media is ingrained. So I think that the question is, you have to make that transition from everyday use of social media to using social media in a professional health setting. And for some, that's going to be a huge transition because healthcare from what I find, is always five to 10 years behind any other industry when it comes to any technology. And when it comes to social media, it's no exception. I think uh, a lot of hospitals, a lot of doctors still view it from a perspective of risk. They view social media as a way that they can get into trouble. So one of the things that I try to do whenever I give talks and talk to other physicians and talk to hospitals is to present social media from a more positive light I share my story and tell them how it's uh, affected me. I share some of the opportunities that social media has given me. And some of these opportunities I had no idea I could have had when I was in medical school. One I want to zero in particular is that social media gives physicians a voice. And I think it's tremendously important for doctors to have that voice because our health system is changing so rapidly as we speak. And too, uh, there are just too uh, few times where doctors have that voice where they can drive that change. So I say to medical students and pre-medical students is that use social media to make your voice heard because it's really one of the equalizing factors. And, and people, these platforms that, that we're given, whether it's a blog, whether it's on Facebook and Twitter, they just weren't available when I was uh, training. So use that platform wisely. Don't uh, do anything that you wouldn't do in a professional setting. And uh, if you use it well, you get your voice to be heard and really have some influence and drive some change because it's going to matter uh, when you become a doctor. 
don't post anything you wouldn't want your grandmother to read. That's what I've always heard and, and live yep. by. There are a lot of variations of that. Uh, I have what's called uh, an elevator test. Don't post anything that you wouldn't uh, say aloud in a crowded hospital elevator. So I think that's really a, a great rule of thumb. That's awesome. What are some some things, again, looking back on your journey that knowing now you would have wished you knew as a pre-med student, as a medical student? Well, let me... Uh... Let me think about that. Let me see. I think that one thing I wanted to uh, do is that I think this goes back to what I was saying before. I didn't have a voice back then, and I didn't realize that how important that could be. Because uh, in medical school, you would just be focused on clinical studies, on your your pre-med courses. And I think it's important to uh, develop a voice and learn more about the business of medicine. Because too often... Medicine is being taken over by non-physicians and non-healthcare professionals. You have people with uh, MBAs driving healthcare decisions in hospitals. And because doctors aren't versed sometimes with the business of medicine, it's hard, it's hard for them to have that influence. So one of the things that I wish I would have done back when I was a medical student is learn more about the, the behind the scenes, about the healthcare policy, about, about the business of medicine, and, and make sure I develop that voice earlier than I did. Now, I think I've made up for that. I think I've utilized uh, various social media platforms before a lot of doctors did. So, and, and I've learned a tremendous amount about healthcare policy and about the business of medicine. And, and uh, I read hundreds of, of stories from doctors. And these are things that you can't learn in an educational setting. They don't teach these stories in residency or in medical school. And I think uh, now with social media, it makes these stories so much more accessible. So my advice, uh, again, to these pre-medical and, and medical students would be to learn about how medicine is run and sharpen your voice so you could be heard when you uh, see all the things that, that could be improved in healthcare today. It's interesting. You mentioned, really, you wish you would have had a voice or found your voice earlier. Now you're doing that with Kevin MD, your blog, your, your website. You've found a voice there, but you're also giving the opportunity for others to have a voice. And so for the, the students that you're talking about just now, they have the opportunity to go to Kevin MD and submit their own articles to you. How do you get those articles and what type of submissions are you looking for, if anything? Sure. So I've built a platform over the past 10 years. So I not only have my blog, but also I syndicate posts on Twitter and Facebook, and it gets a lot of traction there. And one of the goals that I have on my site is to share the stories of those who intersect with our healthcare system, but aren't often heard from. So what that means, these aren't the voices that you read in the New York Times. Uh, these aren't doctors in name only who write op-eds in, in national newspapers. But I really aim to share the voice of the practicing clinician, people who may not have published books, people who, who aren't professional writers or, or appear on television. These are everyday doctors who may not be the greatest writers, but still have powerful stories that they need to share. So that's really my primary driving goal is to get these voices out because a lot of these doctors and nurses and other healthcare professionals, they're the ones who form the backbone of our healthcare system. And it's important that their voices be elevated to the level of doctors who may not practice but 
often appear on a New York Times op-ed page. So uh, that's really one of my driving goals. And for medical students, I have a lot of uh, medical students who contribute to my site too because they share a lot of stories uh, about what happens in medical school. And uh, there are a lot of ways that we can improve our medical education system. I also like stories that show the human side of medicine because too, it's not too often that patients see that human side of doctors. And, uh, and I think that having a site like mine, having a platform allows healthcare professionals to share, share the human side, you know, they talk about issues that are difficult to talk about, like, you know, behavioral health issues, uh, physician burnout, physician suicide, because these are topics that don't get a lot of attention in mainstream media publications. So it's been uh, pretty successful. I, I do get a lot of uh, other mainstream uh, media entities who read my site. And sometimes uh, some of my authors get opportunities in these publications from editors who, who read my site. So it's been tremendously gratifying. And uh, I'm definitely uh, thankful for everyone who contributes to my site. And hopefully I can do my part in elevating their voices and making their voices heard. Well, I've I've contributed a couple articles to the site, but I also use it as a source of interesting topics for the podcast itself, and I've done that a couple times with some interesting articles that have been published. Well, good. Thank you very much for uh, reading the site. I, th- I think one one of the things I try to do, as I mentioned, is to really share topics that don't often get discussed. So I, I look for things that that are a little bit unconventional and. Uh, sometimes a fresh take on a topic that that you just won't read anywhere else and uh and i'm just so thankful to my contributors who who really share share that perspective as a a physician now who's been out in practice what continues to drive you and motivate you day in and day out as you see your 15 to 20 patients a day i think with a shortage of primary care doctors if i don't do it who will i think uh I think that's really uh, what what motivates me. If uh, if I wasn't in primary care, I think a lot of these patients, especially these newly insured patients, will have a hard time finding uh, someone who will take care of them. Uh, I've always said that having health insurance is not necessarily the same of having access to a doctor because what good is having that insurance if you can't see anyone? And as we know, we have a, a pretty stark primary care shortage uh, you in Massachusetts, the wait times can be anywhere from sixty to ninety days, and I have had a lot of new patients come to me saying that I'm uh, one of the few doctors who who are accepting new patients in a relatively timely basis. So I think that's what drives me. I think um, knowing that a lot of these patients won't necessarily have a primary care doctor if I weren't their primary care doctor. I think it's a pretty strong motivator. Okay. Do you have any essential reading items for students on their journey? Well, I'm going to focus... uh, Besides your blog, of course. (laughs) No, thank you. No, I think um, a lot of my focus is going to be um, on using social media, using uh, these digital tools to help their online reputation because I think it's, it's tremendously important. A lot of students don't necessarily know how to leverage their online influence or these online tools into professional, into their professional lives. I actually think Dr. Vardabedian's book, uh, The Public Physician, is certainly an uh, essential read. 
And uh, I would just start with his book and get ideas on how to leverage your voice um, into uh, today's digital media. Okay. And you also have your own book about establishing, managing, and protecting your online reputation. So I would I add that one to the list. Oh, thank you very much. I appreciate it. All right, Dr. Poe, as we head out, what last pieces of advice would you have for a pre-med student who, who's looking at this four years of undergrad and four years of med school and at least three years of residency? They're looking all the way down that road and they're struggling on their journey. What can you tell them to keep them motivated? Well, I think two things I touched upon earlier. You want to have that balance. Know that uh, you know medicine can be consuming. Uh, there's always one more patient to see. There's always more paperwork to do. I think you have to set boundaries because if you don't and put a hundred percent of your your life in medicine, it could easily consume you, and that can lead to burnout. And burnt out physicians are definitely no good to anybody, uh, let alone patients. So that's my first first piece of advice. My second piece of advice is uh, don't be afraid of saying I don't know. I think medicine attracts the best of the best. And uh, sometimes people who do well in high school and undergraduate studies find themselves in situations in medical school and, uh, and beyond that they simply don't know the answer. And, uh, there's, and I think it takes a strong person to admit that they don't know, um, sometimes to their superiors. But uh, it's also just as important that they also try to find out that information. There's just too much to know in medicine and, and healthcare, and the amount that we have to know is, is growing exponentially. So know where to find that information, and if you don't know the answer, don't be afraid of saying, I don't know. All right. Again, that was Kevin Poe from KevinMD.com. Go check out the blog. If you're interested in writing something, there is an easy way to contribute to that site. If you go to the top of the page, it says contribute right there. Very easy. And Kevin himself reads through them all and edits them and posts them. It's awesome. So go check it out, kevinmd.com. Check out his book that we talked about, or I talked about, I guess, Establishing, Managing, and Protecting Your Online Reputation, a book specifically for physicians and medical practices. It's never too early to start working on your social media presence, your online presence as a whole. So go check out that book and the other book that we talked about, Dr. Vardabedian's book. I had uh, Dr. Vardabedian on a while ago as well. So you can go check out that podcast if you liked it. So again, I hope you got a ton of great information out of today's podcast. It was great talking to Kevin Poe, somebody that's been practicing for a while, who is in touch with a lot of different aspects of healthcare the social media side, the online side, and what he still does day in and day out with patients. So if you got a ton of great information today and you want to leave us a rating interview, go to medicalschoolhq.net slash iTunes, and you can do that there. If you've already done it, thank you very much. If you're planning on doing it in the future, thank you very much. And if not, that's okay. We still love you anyway. I hope you join us next time here at the Medical School Headquarters Podcast. <laughs> <laughs>